Uh, I want to thank Jim for the opportunity to come and preach tonight. Uh, I appreciate Jim's strong leadership and your preaching. It really is impressive how God has used you. I thank you for you reaching out to other pastors to try to help them really be more effective in serving our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I thought that's a wonderful idea that Jim had here, and I might steal it down the road, and uh, about preaching on different giants of God. And uh, But you know, to be frank, I wasn't super excited to begin with when he gave me this particular giant. And, uh, you know... I was actually almost a little jealous. I can't say I was jealous, that'd be sin. Uh, I, I, was, I was tempted to be jealous uh, of, uh, I like how people phrase things like that. Marvin Woods was assigned Elijah, and that's my favorite prophet. And so I was like, man, he got Elijah. And, uh, and you think about it, in terms of who God uses in a mighty way, a giant way, Elijah would come first to my mind in terms of a prophet. I think of the wonderful miracles uh, that Elijah, God did through Elijah, you know, raising that little boy from the dead, that, that, that boy from the dead, and, and also him praying, and it didn't rain for three, three, three and a half years, and, and it only started raining because he prayed as well. And, and then those miracles that God did, and, and I couldn't think of one miracle that Jeremiah did. And, and then I started thinking, well, Man, just the impact Elijah, you know, he took on those prophets of Baal and, and thousands, you know, excuse me, hundreds of them and, and showed in a dramatic display the power of God and, uh, where they cried out to Baal and, and nothing happened. And then he simply prayed to God and God sent fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. And then what? All the people of Israel there just going down before God and crying out, the Lord is God, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. And then had all the prophets of Baal killed. On the other hand, when it comes to Jeremiah, was the other day at the Coastal Evangelism Conference, and Phil Hoskins, he was preaching, and he said, he, he mentioned Jeremiah, so I said, let me get in on this real quick. And, uh, and he mentioned him, all he said, he said, you know, well, he basically said, you know, after all of his ministry, 40 years of ministry, not one convert. That's what he said. I said, my goodness. Imagine a pastor, 40 years, not having one convert. These people say, my goodness, what in the world is wrong? Also, I'm not big on crying. Uh, you can ask my family, I'm not real sensitive. I'm not a sensitive soul. And, and here's, this is a weeping prophet as well. And, uh, but you know, and, and also I, I've rarely preached out of the book of Jeremiah. And I look now and I realize I should have been preaching more out of the book of Jeremiah. So I knew it would tell a good bit of work as well. But this is the case with God. I studied it and, and turned out this was a blessing to me to be a sign. Uh, the gospel, excuse me, the prophet Jeremiah. And, uh, in fact, a book I read by a great preacher of the past, F.B. Meyer, he said this. He said, amid the names that shine as stars in the hemisphere of the Old Testament scripture, there is not one more brilliant than his. So today I want to talk about why he might be called a spiritual giant and, and how that can relate to our Christian lives as well. You know, some like to have three points to a sermon. In fact, uh, I was, I was listening to a preacher the other day that, uh, professor preaching as well. And he was asked by students, how many points should you have in a sermon? And he said, well, you better have at least one. And, uh, <laughs> so I've got a lot. So I hope that's good. Now, a little bit of his life, uh, Jeremiah was the son of a priest. He never married. Although priests back there did marry in those days. Why didn't he marry? God told him not to. He, of course, was a prophet of God. In other words, he was God's mouthpiece 
His ministry began in 627 B.C. and lasted at least until 586 B.C., until the great Babylonian Empire defeated and basically destroyed Jerusalem. His ministry took place during the last five kings of Judah. He did, he did have the privilege of serving under a godly king, Josiah, uh, but the other four were, were evil, and the people of Israel were wicked as well. His main message was judgment, that of judgment to come upon Judah, upon Judah and the southern kingdom of Israel, in hopes what? That God's people would repent. In fact, Jeremiah, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1, Jeremiah chapter 1, and uh, we'll read verses 9 and 10. Jeremiah chapter 1. Verses 9 and 10. Also, it was a blessing. I I'd had some heart issues here a while back, and it was wonderful to hear that y'all, Miles Road Baptist Church, was praying for me. And, and I thank God things have gone well. And, and I attribute that to the prayers of God's people. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. It said, Then the Lord touched, put forth his hand and, and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I've put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, and to throw down, to build, and to plant. His message was a judgment to come, disaster to come, and it was to many nations, but especially to the people of Judah. But with God, there's always the message of hope, amen? amen. To build and to plant, which we'll discuss later. Now, the northern kingdom of Israel had already been conquered as a result of their sin, their idolatry. And so you'd think, you know, that would wake up the southern kingdom, but it really didn't. And they were headed to destruction as well by the Babylonians. They were to be the bride of the Lord, but instead they were adulterers they, because of the, all the, the lovers, the false idols that the people embraced. They oppressed the orphan, the widow, the poor. They embraced theft, lies, and even murder. Jeremiah 8.12 says they did not know how to blush. Kind of sounds like today, doesn't it? Where the sins that used to be so embarrassing even to discuss years ago are now defended, protected, and even celebrated. And again, it's with many today, there is no shame. Jeremiah is out to help people to see the coming destruction and exile will not be due to the power of the Babylonians, but it's be instead due to their continued unfaithfulness. Instead of being God's holy people, they became like the worthless idols they worshipped. Even the priests, the leaders, the prophets were being unfaithful to God as well, even helping lead people astray. So bad the Lord in Jeremiah 5, God challenges them to find one man who really seeks the truth and justice and could qualify to be an advocate for Judah. That's how bad it had gotten. Now, God had Jeremiah tell them that he would heal them of their backsliding if they would just confess and repent, turn from their idolatry, but they would not. The Lord warned them that the lamenting or being sorry for their sins is not enough, but they must repent. Oh, that message needs to be spoken today, amen? How oh, that message needs to be spoken. And I like how I heard it the other day. Repentance is not just being sorry for your sin, but sorry enough to turn from your sin. The people, though, would not listen, but they would say they were okay. So basically, I just want to get a setting. 
for why Jeremiah, just to build that setting, so then we can talk about why Jeremiah was a spiritual giant and how that might relate to us. First, he was a spiritual giant because he was so faithful to God's difficult mission, very difficult mission for him. Again, his message was basically one of judgment. Jeremiah stood as a bronze wall against the whole land, according to Jeremiah 1.18, against kings, against priests, against false prophets and the people, and did so standing basically alone. His ministry seemed to start off fairly easy. Again, it was during the time of Josiah, a time of great reformation. Before Josiah, there had been a very wicked king, Manasseh, who had led the people into great idolatry and evil, even sacrificing his children to the false god Molech. And Josiah instituted many positive reforms. And the people obeyed outwardly. Outwardly. In fact, during this Reformation, Jeremiah was called even then to warn the people that merely outwardly observing the worship of God was worse than useless, for it really was still forsaking God. In fact, it could be worse. Why? Because it concealed the, it could conceal the, uh, excuse me, could conceal the corruption of one's heart. God, through Jeremiah, tells them in uh, Jeremiah 7, 4 through 8, do not trust in deceptive words and say that this is the temple of God. They would go, this is the temple of God. This is the temple of God. This is the temple of God. It says if you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, and if you do not follow other gods, I will let you live in this land and the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. You know, we're in similar territory today as many are separated and separated morals from religion. What does Micah tell us but to do, what does the Lord require of us but to do what? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Where many will talk about their love for God when Scripture tells us if you love Him, you will what? Obey Him. Many today are similar to the Jews. For The Jews thought they were okay because they were the people of God. They were children of Abraham. And they thought because of that, they were okay with God. And let me tell you, there are many today that you go out and talk and witness and say, well, that's okay, I was baptized as a child, you know, I prayed a prayer, was baptized and so forth. But let me tell you, yes, I believe with all my heart we're saved by grace through faith and that alone. But let me tell you, we're saved by faith that is not alone. And let me tell you, we know a tree by its fruit. Even during the days of Josiah and his reforms, Judah did not return to the Lord with their whole heart, but much of the revival was outwardly or even pretense. This was shown in how quickly the people returned to idolatry and gross sin after the godly king had died. And they actually turned against the reformers, including Jeremiah himself. They needed to have a heart commitment to the Lord, which they lacked. Let me tell you, a lot of days, a lot of people today, it seems like, you know, sin will make you ignorant. Amen? It seems like they can, <laughs> they can fool God with their actions. But always God looks at what? He looks at the heart. Jeremiah also spoke against relying on other nations. Instead, they rely upon what? The one true God. Many along with the kings wanted them to rely on other nations such as Egypt to overcome the evasion of Babylon. And Jeremiah had to stand against this. He had to stand against all the false prophets who were telling him, telling the people what they wanted to hear. 
Even when Babylon attacked, the false prophets would feed among the patriotism of the people and would tell them they would be delivered by God as they had been years ago when the Assyrians attacked and the godly king Hezekiah, God miraculously delivered them. And Jeremiah would still hold fast and say, you still must repent. You must repent. And it even got to the point Jeremiah had to tell them to go ahead and surrender to the Babylonians because they had not repented. For this was the judgment of God. And they needed to submit. How do you think that went over? And this, let me tell you, this is, Jeremiah had a great love. You're talking about a patriot. He had a patriot's heart. And for him to do this, what do you think they thought of him? What a traitor. What a traitor. He had to carry that title when he had such a heart for the people. Such a patriotic heart. But he still continued to give that message. He, as the Lord did in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before his crucifixion, was in essence saying, not my will, but your will be done, no matter the consequences. He was faithful in his preaching, although he saw next to nothing in terms of results. The people as a whole simply refused to listen. But Jeremiah, although he struggled at times, year after year, decade after decade, faithfully preaching God's message without compromise to a people that refused to listen. What an example of Jeremiah to preachers today. Many who preach week after week after week with little to no response and start to wonder, is it really, really making a difference? What is the use? Why continue? The answer is, it was to Jeremiah. We need to be faithful to the mission God has given us, no matter the results. Jeremiah was a spiritual giant because of his heart. Even though his message was one of judgment, boy, he greatly pained for his people. His heart ached for his people. Knowing the great destruction coming through a Babylonian invasion gave him a great sorrow. In Jeremiah 9, 1, he says, Oh, that my head were a spring of water, my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. The weeping prophet would have tears running down his face as he preached to people from his broken heart, and yet nobody would listen. The people ignored him, opposed him, ridiculed him, persecuted him, tried to kill him, and yet he didn't have an attitude of wanting the judgment to come upon him. He still wanted them so badly to repent and turn to the Lord. This reminds me of Jesus, of course, who Jeremiah does. What a wonderful example of the Lord Jesus. As he looked out over Jerusalem, prophesying their coming destruction, when he was on the way to the cross in Luke 19, 41-44, says this, When Jesus drew near to the city, he did what? He wept over it saying, would you that even you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you where enemies you will see, excuse me, when your enemies will set you up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the crown, ground, you and your children within you. They will not leave one stone unturned in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus, when prophesying judgment upon those who rejected him, did what? He wept. We too, when we have the heart of God for those facing judgment, oh, we need to have the heart of those who are facing judgment. Anybody know lost people? Oh, we should be weeping over those lost people. And when we share the gospel, they should see 
the tears, how we care for them, how, yes, we need to tell them about hell, but what? Weep over them as we do. Also, those that may be saved but are going astray, we need what? Warn them of the consequences, but not in judgment, but instead also in love, warning them, oh, desiring for them to repent. I always remember a story, Chuck Smith, uh, Chapel, uh, uh, excuse me, Calvary Chapel in uh, California. He used to be on KCL years ago at 6 a.m. And I remember a, a message that he gave one time, and he said that a friend of his, a really close friend, the family, whole was, whole family was, and uh, just a, a you know a very godly family that really sought to serve the Lord, and and uh, and yet. The, the, the man, the husband, the, the father, he was, had been working with a lady he had to because of business, and lo and behold, he had an affair and actually left his wife. And so he said, you know, he was just devastated because of that, and, and there was a preacher that actually went by, he got with this, young, this lady and, and a, moved in an apartment, small apartment. And, and a preacher had gone and preached judgment. I mean, just jumped all over him for what he had done and said there, if you don't to return, excuse me, if you don't repent, you're going out of here in a coffin. I mean, just ripped them apart, preaching judgment. And then he left, and nothing happened as a result. Chuck Smith said he knew he had to go see him as well. And he went to see him and, and went inside, and they started talking. And all of a sudden, he was about to talk to him about what he needed to do. And all of a sudden, he said he started crying. And he said he couldn't stop crying. He said he thought of the hurt that he'd caused his family. And here he was in this little apartment, what he had left, and, and why would he do that? And he just, he was broken over what had gone on, what had transpired. And, and, and he couldn't stop crying. He just couldn't stop crying. He started to speak, and he just, he just couldn't get it out. And he said he got so embarrassed. He said, finally, I said, he's got him, so I'm sorry, he excused himself and left. Guess what happened right after that? That man got up, he left that lady, and went back to his family. Oh, that people would be able to see our hearts when we share with them. Even if we have to tell them they need to repent, let them see our hearts. He was a spiritual giant because of his willingness to obey God no matter the cost, no matter if it even made sense. You know, he struggled at times, but he was willing to do what God told him to do no matter how odd or how difficult it may be. Uh, the Lord told him once to go buy a linen cloth. And, and uh, not to wash it, but to wear it around his waist. And then after that, a while, he told him to go to the Euphrates River, which was 500 miles away or so in the territory of Babylon, and go and simply bury it under a rock. Now, and that's it. That, that was the assignment. So a thousand-mile round trip. That'd be like us walking to where? Washington, D.C. and back. And then after a while, what did he tell him to do? He told him to go get the linen cloth. And then he goes, and, and what reason? It's going to be rotten, you know, by the time that he had done it. And, and it was simply to do what? To show that Israel was useless to God due to its sin and would be exiled to Babylon. And he was told in Jeremiah 16, as well, other things that he told, he was told he couldn't go to funerals to mourn. He couldn't go to feast and celebrate because of the judgment that was coming. William Law, a Christian writer of the 1700s, said the first and most fundamental principle of Christianity is an intention to please God in all of our actions. And it's because of the generality of Christians have no such intention, they fall so far short of true devotion. Are you willing to obey God no matter the cost? No matter if it seems to make sense or not.
I remember years ago, many years ago now, uh, when I got saved, I was on fire for Jesus. Amen? And, and my dad uh, thought I kind of lost my mind because and, and, I really got on fire for Jesus. You know, he was used to Christianity, but he wasn't used to this so much. And uh, so, you know, I would talk to him some, and he had some doubts, although he was a believer in Jesus Christ. But we were talking about some of the doubts he had had, and, and so I'd give him a book from time to time. And uh, one day I felt led to give him a book called The Bondage Breaker. Anybody ever read that book? Amen. Now, if you've read that book by Neil Anderson, it tells you how to overcome strongholds. And, uh, but there's some odd examples in there, unusual, I will say, examples, some really tough examples like sexual abuse as children and what happens as a result of that with the strongholds that can come in and so forth. And I was sitting there one day, and my dad happened to be visiting with my mom, and, and uh, said, the Holy Spirit said, give that book to him to read. And I'm like, Lord, he already thinks I'm crazy, you know. You know, if I give him that with these different stories and the unusual stories, he's really going to, what, what are you talking about? You know, and, you know, demonic possession, you know, different things like that. And I didn't want to do it, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't let go of me. He just said, you know, you need to do it. And so I went ahead and I said, Dad, you know how we can kind of smooth things in. I said, I just want your opinion. It's a different, kind of unusual book, but I just want your opinion on this book. And so he said, okay. And so you know what? He read the book. Not too long after, he shared. He was sitting there at the table. My wife was there and, and some of our other family members. He shared. And he was about 75, 77, somewhere in that age. He shared when he was a young boy, around the age of eight. He was in one, one uh, room schoolhouse back then. And the boy next to him that he had to sit by was about 15 years old. And he would make him do things to him under the table. And it said, and that was the first time he had ever opened up to anybody about that. And he said, you know, ever since then, it's haunted me every single day of my life. Let's listen to the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. Even when it doesn't seem to make sense. What an example we have with Jeremiah. Now, along with this, Jeremiah was a spiritual giant because he was willing to suffer in order to do God's will. He could not marry by the directive of God. Therefore, he couldn't have children as well. And it was an object lesson to the people that judgment was coming to keep uh, what would be his family from the horrors of the judgment to come. He was opposed strongly, rejected over confronting people for their sins. People don't like to hear that they need to turn away from that which they love, do they? And so they love their sin and they would, oh, they would come against him. He had to preach judgment, idolatry, and the sins of the people for 40 years. He was therefore what? Very lonely. He was isolated, threatened, mocked, laughed at. To read Lamentations, they even what? They, would, they made up songs that mocked him and would continuously sing these songs mocking Jeremiah. Anybody had a song made up about you where they, it was made to mock you? Faced a trial for his life, was put in stocks, beaten with a whip, forced to flee for his life, publicly humiliated, thrown into a pit, sinking in mud and left to die until he was rescued. Even his hometown that was filled with family and priests, he was from a priestly family, conspired to kill him because his messages from God denounced them as well. He, of course, wrote lamentations, which means to what? To cry. And it tells of the fall of Jerusalem. You know, it was so horrible. Yes, one, the prophecies that he had, he, he didn't want to have to give these because it hurt his heart knowing what was to come. But then he also had to watch it play out. 
And as they were attacked by Babylon, the last time of the siege lasted 18 months. Imagine Jeremiah having to watch the prophecies be fulfilled. And there he was, children, withering away, starving unto their death. Mothers even getting to the point where they would, what, kill their children, to cook their children in order to eat them. And Jeremiah had to sit there and watch it, and he could do nothing. Seeing his prophecies fulfilled. More than most anyone else, he was a man of sorrows. Perhaps only surpassed in sorrow by who? Jesus Christ, our Lord. The suffering servant who was willing to do what? Go to that cross to die as payment for our sins. You know, let us beware if we never suffer for Christ. Let's beware if we never suffer for Christ. F.B. Meyer says the man who endures grief, suffering wrongfully, alone can claim to be following in the steps of the Master and to be offering a sacrifice which is acceptable to God. 2 Timothy 3.12 tells us that everyone who seeks to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will what? Will face persecution. So, just a little bit of logic. If you're never facing persecution because of following Jesus Christ, what? You're not seeking to truly live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Jeremiah also was a spiritual giant because he answered his call and he relied upon the Lord. God called Jeremiah to be his prophet. And this is the one qualification necessary to be a prophet, amen? To be called of God. But what was the response? Jesus did what God called him to do. We need to also ensure we discover and live according to what God has called each one of us to do. We're created in Christ Jesus, what? For good works. He prepared beforehand for us to do. So we need to all find out what our spiritual gifts are and make sure we're putting them into practice because we will give an account one day. But I will share, he did struggle. Jeremiah 1.6. Jeremiah 1.6. He says, when he got the call, he said, But, oh Lord, I can't speak. I'm only a youth. I'm only a youth. He felt he was too young. He was scared. He was really kind of a timid fellow. He had a sensitive soul. And God told him, don't say that. God didn't make a mistake in who he chooses, but God tells him this in Jeremiah 1, 17 through 19. He tells him this. He says, Therefore prepare yourself and arise and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be, dis- excuse me, do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against his princes, against his priests, and against the people of the land. And they will fight against you and they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. I love what one man said, man is immortal until his work is done. You know, you might think the Lord for this kind of mission, ministry. We get someone naturally bold, confident, strong, to be that iron pillar against the whole land, to be able to stand against those that would come against him instead of more of a weak and timid soul. But God's ways are not our ways. Amen? They're much higher than our ways. There may be some in here tonight that think, you know, God can't use me like he used someone like Jeremiah. For I'm weak. I could never be used of a God in terms of a giant for God. 
But remember always, as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, God's strength is made perfect in weakness. God's strength is made perfect in weakness. In fact, if someone is a great natural speaker, you know, that could actually, even though God does use them, it's a wonderful gift, it could be a danger at times because they could sway people naturally. They could rely on their own ability instead of the Spirit of Almighty God. They could actually receive the praise do God alone. And remember, God will not share His glory with anyone. I believe Jeremiah was a spiritual giant because as a result of his weakness, he relied upon the Spirit of Almighty God. Experienced His strength and His enablement. Also, Jeremiah was a spiritual giant because he was a praying man. A man who walked closely with God. He, of course, interceded for the people. But also you could see him being so real when he talked with God. As the psalmist did. Being honest with his struggles. Turning to God over his struggles. His hurts, his weaknesses, his confusions, his, his doubts. Even wanting at times to quit. Even getting to the point he said, Lord, I wish I'd never been born. In fact, Jeremiah 20 is saying what? Cursed be the day I was born. But what did he always do? He took his struggles to the Lord. He took his struggles to the Lord. He faced such trying times, but as God would be what? But he let God be his comforter. And I hope you understand today there's no greater comforter than God. Amen? Amen? In fact, I can say sometimes that, you know, I've been through and I don't like going through tough times, but I can say honestly, at times it's been so worth it just to experience the comfort of God. Oh, it's amazing, that wonderful comfort of God. Oh, and how much better we would fare in our lives if instead of worrying, amen, instead of worrying, we would take all of our struggles to God. It was as if Jeremiah took all of his thoughts to God, which would be a good goal for us to talk out every detail of our life with God. But in his intercessions for the people pouring out his heart to God, another important point, he didn't just talk. Prayer is also listening as well, amen? He would talk to the Lord, share his heart with God, but also would listen to God's response as well. He was also a spiritual giant because he correctly delivered God's messages so we could have them for today. You know, I wish I had time to share some of the wonderful teachings, like, you know, spiritually the people would be drinking, in a sense, out of these cisterns, these holes in, in lime rock, would gather water for the people, but it would get stagnant, nasty. And they would choose that over what? The living water of Almighty God. Choose that instead. And, and the potter's will and, and God forming people and, and, you know, and, and His work in our lives and fashioning us. And He'll do that for us and, and to making us into the image of Jesus' Son. And praise God. He also gave us the wonderful message of hope. For with God, yes, there's messages of judgment. But again, praise God, there's messages of hope with God as well. And he would share that the Israelites would return from exile after 70 years. But far better than that, in Jeremiah chapter 31, Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. When he speaks of the new covenant. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. When I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, 
says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. If I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. And we know that new covenant is realized in who? Jesus Christ our Lord. And will be fully realized one day for the nation of Israel as well when Jesus comes again. He was also a spiritual giant because of the passion he had to speak God's message. There was one time with the sorrows that he faced that he determined he would no longer make mention of God. But he rather, rather quickly became aware that he couldn't hold it in. He just couldn't hold it in. Jeremiah 29 says, If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart as it were a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I'm weary with holding it in. And I cannot. And he had mainly a message of judgment and could not hold it in. But woe to us. Oh, we have the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? There's no greater news to be shared. But isn't it sad? that most Christians today are hesitant to share. Oh, how I've seen that. So many are so hesitant to share. If we've experienced it, we should be. We can't hold it in as well. That inward fire within. Why is it lacking in so many that profess Christ? F.B. Meyer said the source of that inward fire is the love of God. Yes, our love for God, but mainly our understanding of His love for us. Meyer said, if, if we set ourselves with open face toward the cross, which like a burning lens focuses the love of God, if at the same time we reckon upon the Holy Spirit, well called the Spirit of burning, to do His wanted office, we shall find the ice that cakes the surface of our hearts dissolving in tears of penitence. And presently the sacred fire will begin to glow and the love of Christ will constrain us. And then lastly, Spiritual giant, he was a spiritual giant because he was willing to die. He was willing to die. What did he die to? He died to so much enjoyment of human love. He couldn't take a wife, have children. His own town, his family members turned against him, came against him. His friends betrayed him. He couldn't go to feasts to celebrate. He couldn't go to funerals to mourn. He died to being accepted by others, appreciated by others. We don't read of any voice ever praising him, encouraging him. In essence, people, people, person after person after person, cursing him instead. He died to his patriotism, having to tell his country to surrender to an evil pagan empire. And he died to comfort because so often we find him in prison. Boy, did he die to self, and so much of what this world offered. And although we probably will not suffer as Jeremiah did, the same willingness to do so, we have to deal with ourselves. In fact, Jesus tells us in Luke 9, 23 and 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whosoever loses his life for my sake, will save it. In John 12, 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. 
But if it dies, it bears much fruit. How did Jeremiah die? Physically. We don't know. We don't really know. You know, often the Bible doesn't tell much about its godly people death. Why is that? Why do you think that is? I believe God is interested in the life and work of those who are his servants. But far more important than how they die here, what really matters is when we cross the other side. Think with me. Jeremiah, wonderful example, Jesus Christ, his sorrow, the ministry of Jesus and what Jeremiah did. And people would look at his life, though, not being able to marry and I have children, all the sorrow, just living a life of that. And some people say, oh, poor soul. Oh, poor soul. Feel sorry for him. How sad that he had to live a life like that. But where has he been for the last couple thousand years? Amen? He's been in glory. Amen? He has been in glory. And, uh, and, and think, Paul says in Romans 8, 18, he considers what our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. He tells us in 1 Corinthians 4, 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Amen? And of great importance to me. And I'm sure Jeremiah heard this. Well done, good and faithful servant. Anybody want to hear that? Oh, I long to hear that. Well done, good and faithful servant. If you want to hear that, I believe tonight we can learn from Jeremiah's life. Oh, because he was such a wonderful, wonderful representation of Jesus Christ. And we need to be like him. We can learn from him so that we can ensure we hear that as well. Well done. Good.